0: We will be turning soon, not immediately, to Ephesians 5, so you're welcome to hand that or have that open in front of you as we will get there very soon. Um, We are starting this morning a short series on purity and uh, purity of, uh, well, a lot of different aspects of it, I suppose, but it's one of those words that is... Not so much celebrated in this day and age. What do you want purity for? I mean, other than you know, make sure the, the diamond is is pure, right on the on the engagement ring or something. You know, purity isn't isn't all that is cracked up to be. Sometimes we externalize purity and say, well, just you know, have you washed your hands lately, or or you know, taken a bath. Well, purity is more than that. Being clean is is more than, or excuse me, being pure is more than than just being clean on the outside. In fact, our Lord Jesus says, it is a condition of the heart, and it's not so much what goes into your body, make sure you have clean foods, etc., but what comes out of your body, what comes out of your mouth, particularly as it indicates what is in our hearts. So purity is not something that just what people see, hey, that looks like a a well-put-together person. Well, what kind of evil is being hidden? It's kind of like putting lipstick on a pig. Have uh, you ever seen a lipstick on a pig? does not help the appearance of the pig much at all. It's still a pig, and yet you're trying to, to impress people. You're trying to present yourself in a different fashion than you really are. By the way, purity, as the Lord describes it and provides for it, is not an optional thing like, uh, do you want fries with that kind of thing? Does your Christianity affect your life, or is it just something that you do on Sundays? Does it affect the movies you see, the the, the, the uh, books you read, the magazines, the the tweets, the, the people you follow on Instagram, does it affect that? Does your Christianity, your relationship with Christ, affect how you practice your devotion to God in your daily life? By the way, this is a matter of obedience. It's not, again, a matter of, well, I don't know, he's being all stodgy and old-fashioned and everything. No, actually, this is an obedience issue, pleasing God and trusting him. Elizabeth Elliot, in her book, I think, Marks of a Man, or or I think that was the book where she was talking about um, people who struggle with different sins of whatever it might be. She said, you know, it's not really a struggle. It's just delayed obedience. No, what? What are you talking delayed obedience? I'm not into that because that kind of puts it back on me. I thought the struggle was outside of me. No, the issue is inside of you. Deal with it in your own self. People would say, hey, isn't purity old-fashioned? Isn't it like archaic? Isn't it like way from old times? Don't, aren't we a more modern, sophisticated society? Or people would say, what's so bad about what I'm doing? You know, it's not hurting anybody. Or people that say, well, why can't we just, you know, if it feels good, do it. Can't, isn't that a good rule of life? Not really a good rule of life. But everybody's doing it. Well, that's probably a good reason not to, right? Because if everybody's doing it, it's probably not pleasing to the Lord. And other people would just say, well, purity is just impractical. Don't you realize what kind of age we live in right now? It's just so hard. Well, no, this is important. We see it in scripture that Psalm and psalm it's actually Psalm 24, it's mislabeled here. Psalm 24, verse 3 says, who may ascend into the mountain of Yahweh, who may rise in his holy place? And this is kind of are you concerned about that? Do you want to have a relationship with Yahweh? Do you want to have an a, a, a acceptance into his kingdom? Who may rise or stand or, or be established in his holy place? Well, this kind of person. He or she who is, has innocent hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to worthlessness and has not sworn deceitfully. So innocent hands, a pure heart. It's very important to God. He does not bring in just anybody, old, any old person into his presence. We studied just a few weeks ago, Psalm 73 and verse 1, where Asaph said, Surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. Not just pure on the outside. I mean, we do all this ceremonial washing. We have the the sacrifices. We do all this stuff. Those who are pure in heart. And he says later in the psalm, Well, surely I've kept my heart pure for nothing because God is is letting the wicked people get away with murder, basically. And here I am struggling to, to... honor the Lord and please him, and that's gotten me nowhere. So what am I doing about this? Well, he had to remind, remind himself here at the beginning, surely God is good. God is good to Israel. Jesus mentioned the same thing, Matthew 5 and verse 8, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's that relationship with God. Do you want a relationship with God? Because as you draw near to God, the debris, the dross, the, the wickedness, Sloughs off. I mean, why why would you bring that into God's presence? He will remove it one way or another. Why don't you get rid of that now, as a result of your purity in Christ? Why don't you get rid of that now, so you can draw near to Him without being ashamed? Because He will remove any kind of wickedness from our lives. Now, I'm going to show you a schematic, and you're going to say, "What in the world? What in the world?" Really, this is just a brief thing. I could have spent the whole time on this, but this is a brief thing to get us into the study. And it's about purity. What is purity? And we're going to look at it in three different aspects a condition, a condition or a status that we have before God, the character that we have internally, and then how is it reflected or manifested in our conduct. So, how do we stand before God? How are we, uh, in, our, in terms of our character or our our essence, if you don't mind, and then how does that influence our conduct? Now we'll look at it in three different perspectives. And you're thinking, good grief, what is all this? And by the way, as a good whatever, I don't know if it's good or bad. All these things start with C, and that took a little bit of finagling, if you don't mind. And so, what was our purity when it was created in Adam? What was it like? Well, in terms of our condition, we were consecrated to God, set apart for God. No question about who we belong to is God. Who's the boss? God. Who's the one that we relate to, talk to, enjoy? God. And so definitely a consecration, a, a devotion being set apart for God. What was the character like? It was clean, pure, right? No blemish, uh, no, no blame in that regard, uh, no, uh, no uh, spot or wrinkle or anything like that. It is a pure, clean, undefiled uh, character. And how did it reflect itself in conduct? How did the Adam and Eve obey, at least in Genesis 1 and 2? They were commendable, right? Very good, God said. Very good is this whole thing, whole situation. is just a wonderful uh, uh, expression of God's kindness and his goodness and his holiness. Well, notice I said created in Eden. Well, then you can say, oh, we know what happened after Eden or in Eden, right? Our purity was lost in Adam. And you say, well, wait a minute. A lot of people would say that mankind is generally, you know, at heart, Good, good people, right? Uh, People are basically good at heart uh, and assumes that any kind of impurity is a result of the environment or the training or the experiences or I've been a victim of something and so I've been fouled by my environment. No. People would say you can lose your purity. Well, it's already been lost, okay? Can we we say that? It's not a question really of remaining pure but of getting pure to begin with. If our purity has been lost in Adam, then what are we going to do about it? we had this issue, our condition before God, not impurity. We are now condemned. We're condemned in Adam. We have a, a judgment that is guilty, 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 guilty. guilty. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. How many? All. Does that mean everybody? Well, all, everybody has sinned and fall, fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans eight verse eight says, those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. Those who are in in Adam, in the flesh, not saved, they're condemned before God. What about their character? Their character is corrupted or contaminated or defiled or blemished, you might think about. And this is where we bring in our great theological term depravity and even total depravity. And there's a little bit of confusion about that, that that, well, you're saying that people are as bad as they could be. No, not everybody is as bad as they could be. That would be horrible. Can you imagine what kind of life that would be? Everybody was truly as bad as possible. Ugh. Now, you've seen, seen some maybe kindergartens that way. It seems like that. Everybody's just, whatever. But no, you, when, we, when the full expression of depravity is on display, it is wickedness. It is kind of reminds you like the flood, that God sent a flood to destroy and bring judgment because this is not going on. This is going to end. Total depravity does not mean that everybody is as bad as they could be, but that every part of ourselves, the totality of our being, is tainted, marred, corrupted by sin. Our thinking... Our desires, our speaking, our actions, just corrupted, fouled by sin. It also means, by the way, not that just we are totally, you know, entirely, maybe that would be a better term, entire entire depravity, that we are also unable to save ourselves. It's not like I can clean my, you know, picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. We're going to get this thing done. No, we are not able to deliver ourselves from God's righteous judgment. We are corrupted. And then, of course, our conduct in Adam is crooked. It's not. It's not right. It's, it's perverted. It is, it is absolutely reprobate. It is, it's not what God wants us to do. Uh, Ecclesiastes seven verse twenty nine. Often quote this to my kids. You'll find out why. See, I have found only this that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. And they, oh, devices. Yeah, those internet things, right? No, schemes and plans that draw people away from God. God made men upright, but what are we doing? We're seeking out any other way to do things than what God says. And so we have shame and guilt that is, is ours in Adam. Well, is there any hope? Can anything change in this regard? Yes, thankfully, our purity can be restored in Christ. And that is to say, this purity is not something from ourselves. Again, we are entirely depraved. We are, um, pardon me, some other terms that would regard that desire, uh, moral inability, reprobation, that we are not able to save ourselves. But we can be cleansed in Christ. We can have a forgiveness. Our condition, our standing before God can be cleansed. Whereas we would be you know, declared guilty, now in Christ we can be brought near, cleansed, justified, uh, sanctified, even consecrated back, a, a restoration of that consecration we had at the beginning. Our character is now converted. Our, we don't have that old heart, that old man. We have a new heart. And now we can respond in, in hope and obedience to the Lord. That Uh, profession or that request that David had in Psalm 51 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me That's the hope that we have and that's the reality we have in Christ, the restoration of our purity. And then of course our conduct is conforming You'll notice that each of these things, except clean, uh, but that is more of a a status, I guess uh, Each of these are in the past tense, right? You notice that? Kind of clever, right? Except this last one, conforming It is something that Mm. it's kind of a, a laggy issue. You've seen this with internet devices where there's a lag between what's going on and, and trying to get loaded and trying to get you, you're, you're, you're streaming this whatever and, and it's, you're about 10 seconds behind. Our behavior, our conduct is being conformed. It is being fashioned after Christ. We want to be more like him. Our, our standing before God is, is no question. We are cleansed. We have been set apart. We have been purified. Our character, definitely converted. In Christ, we have a new heart, definitely But what about our conduct? What about our behavior in life? Man, practically, we've got issues. When Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 1, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, pure, this is the idea, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual or rational or reasonable service of worship. That's what we're about. We want our lives to be fashioned after our position. In fact, my paraphrase of Ephesians 4 verse 1 uh, how, I forget even how it says it in the, in the original. Well, let me just look. Um, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So, walk in a manner worthy. That's the idea of a scale, not like a, a bathroom scale, but a scale where you put something on one side and the other, and it's a balance issue. If our salvation is so wonderful over here, but our, our behavior does not balance that or fit that out, it's wrong. We need to balance that out. Not on our own strength, we can't do it. We do this by the power of Christ working within us but we want and desire and aspire for that practical righteousness in our lives, which is ours positionally in Christ. We're looking at all these different things, and in relation to our study in just a moment in Ephesians 5, what would be a good definition of purity? Now again, we could have approached this topic in many different ways, we could put a few different uh, definitions, I suppose, of purity, but I'm going to present this, and I hope it will be a blessing to you, because it really gets to the heart of what it means to be pure before God. And the contrast, what does it mean to be impure, violated, and corrupt before God? Well, purity is satisfaction with God's good gifts to the glory of God. And you think, well, that's, that's kind of a letdown. No, are you serious? This is satisfaction. You are entirely delighting in and enjoying the good gifts that God gives. And it's not just for yourself. It's to the glory of God. We'll see this as we look at uh, Ephesians 5. In fact, if you have that before you, let me read uh, several verses in this passage looking at uh, purity particularly and then uh, uh, underscoring that definition which I offer to your, to your uh, enjoyment perhaps. Ephesians 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, nor filthiness, foolish talk, or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no one sexually immoral or impure or greedy, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He goes on and talks more about this, but as he starts this passage, he gives the first picture here in verse 1 Imitate God as beloved children, and what does he say? Walk in love. And then the example that he gives of love is Christ. What did Christ do? Walking in love. Did he say, hey, guys, love me, serve me, make sure that I'm happy, make sure, you know, if the boss ain't happy, then nobody's happy kind of thing? No. Even at the Last Supper, John 13, it wasn't Peter or James or John or anybody that got up and washed the disciples' feet. It was our Lord Jesus. And he said, what I've done to you, you'd expect the next phrase to be, Y'all ought to do it to me sometime, right? A little tit for tat, a little bit of reciprocation here. No, he says, what I've done for you, you do to other people. It wasn't like Christ was looking to be served, right? In fact, he said, Mark 10:45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what he says here, Ephesians 5 and verse 2, he gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We see the contrast here, a lot of different contrasts, but one in particular is that this idea of love, which he celebrates here, walk in love, is, as Christ demonstrated for us, it's not based on myself, not based on my self-indulgence, not based on what is due me, what I think I deserve, what I desire even. It is a love of self-sacrifice. It is a love of thinking of the other person as more important than myself. Now, keep that in mind as you look now into verse 3, what are aberrations entirely abject Im- abjectly impoverished expressions of love it's all about myself what can i get what can i get for myself how can i please myself how can i uh, get whatever you know get before it's it's gotten away with or, or how can i you know advance myself how can i step on other he doesn't care i don't care about stepping on other people what can i get for myself and this is the expression. This is impurity. This is entirely taking God's love, his good and gracious gifts, and saying, no, I'm going to get what I want because I want it. I want it now. I don't care how I get it. This is what I want. And so the, the dichotomy, the, the horrible disconnect between love as imitating God and imitating Christ specifically, don't imitate these people. Don't follow after their example. He gives three different identities of these different folks. And he says, sex, uh, sexual, and he gives the, the actions here first, sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, and greed, which, man, those don't sound like good ideas. Those don't, those don't sound like, like Jesus participated in those things, you know, on Friday nights or whatever. No, not on Friday nights. It's the Sabbath, after all. But on Wednesday, maybe Wednesday morning. No. no. Can you ever imagine our Lord Jesus doing this? Sexually immorale, sexual immorality, any kind of impurity? Our Lord Jesus? No. Greed? No, oh, he emptied himself. He became a servant. Are we going to contrast that with well, you know, we have to get whatever we can get because God is not a good giver of gifts, and we've got to get whatever, you know, however we can get it, whenever we can get it, from whomever, because it's all about me. That's wickedness. That is impurity. Sexual immorality, He said this this word here is very generic term in scripture. It can include a lot of different aberrations of um, the sexual expression Uh, a lot of different examples which i don't want to name because they're wicked and he says we're not supposed to name these you know mention them or converse about them or use them i would define it this way that sexual immorality is any kind of physical intimacy between two or more people outside of a faithful loving god honoring marriage physical intimacy even through eyeballs and you think well i mean the root word of of this word Pornea is what we get pornography it's what we get that sexually explicit illicit material it's not good it is not what god has given to us and you think well who invented sex in the first place hmm god how about that if we go back to the beginning god made male and female and he blessed them and he said be fruitful multiply fill the earth and do it and he says he presented the woman to the man and says whoa man right woman uh, he said, "This is good. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh." She'd be called woman because she's taken out of man, and praise God for this wonderful, good gift. Sexual immorality says, "I'm going to take it wherever I can get it for myself." It's not about how can I please my spouse; it's how can I be pleased. And so, in this this issue of sexual immorality, heads or is at the beginning of a lot of what we call vice lists in Scripture lists of sins and so forth for example galatians 5 and verse 19 the deeds of the flesh are evident well what are they we want to know sexual immorality impurity sensuality wait a minute impurity same thing he mentioned here and sensuality just living for your senses you know and that can include gluttony uh being uh, totally given to food you want this and that and you just more for yourself it's just not right sexual immorality is not what god intends for us He wants, if you don't mind, sexual morality and the right relationship, which is why we read at the beginning, uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 4, that the marriage bed is undefiled. It's God's gracious and good gift. But again, God made men upright, but they've sought out many other solutions to their hunger, their desire, their appetite for self-satisfying fulfillment. Why don't we look to God? What has he provided for us? Why don't we be satisfied, if you don't mind, with his good gifts? and enjoy them to his own glory. Well, he lists here, secondly, impurity, which is kind of the whole thing, right? Impurity is a state of moral uncleanliness or guilt before God. And that, of course, reflects or or is demonstrated through our conduct, right? Uncleanness is, is uh, what's going on here. God has handed people over in the lust of their heart to impurity. Romans 1 and verse 24. And uh, as we read in Galatians 5 verse 19, the deeds of the flesh include impurity, things that are fouled or corrupt or depraved, just not right at all. And notice he says any impurity or really all impurity is to be gone, aw- gone away with or uh, is not to be named among us. That is to say every kind, not just sexual impu- impurity or morality, which is is to be expunge, it's not to be a part of our lives, but impurity, just in a general kind of a state of mind and, and body ought to be set aside. He lists also this greed or greediness or covetousness. It's a different word. If you go back to Exodus 20, and I think it's verse 17, is it? That, yes, verse 17, you shall not covet. Part of the Ten Commandments, right? The tenth of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet. That is the word, by the way, that we looked at a few weeks ago, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1. Now, put this, okay. Usage of words determines how they're, what they mean, right? So in Exodus 20, verse 17, it says, you shall not covet. That same word translated covet in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the same word we saw in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1. If any man desires the office of overseer desires a good work, all right? Okay, so covet, you're not supposed to covet. You shouldn't be coveting. Well, it's a desire. And if you don't mind, it's a desire that then influences or motivates behavior. Are you going to do something about it? Is it just a passing fancy? Or is it something, hey, you're willing to do something about this. You're willing to study. You're willing to be examined. You're willing to be uh, reproved even to be fashioned into this office of overseer or bishop or or pastor elder. And so a, de- a desire then that, that, uh, makes you do things it influences or leads to behavior and so here we see that this greed is not a positive thing because he's listing it and this is not something appropriate for saints this is a greed and says, I want more I want uh, uh, just a little bit more I want to acquire more and more material possessions more and more um, just stuff because I don't have enough stuff and a lot of times it takes advantage of those people, other people that have the things or don't have the things. It's, it's a coercive or manipulative or just a wrong, wrong thing. But it comes back to the heart. Never satisfied, never never content with what you have, always seeking just a little bit more, a little bit more. And he's going to list it in verse 5. greed, A greedy man which is an idolater You've really set your whole identity on what you can get more out of of things for yourself, to spend it on your own uh, pleasures and, and stuff. James 4 would indicate something like that. Our Lord Jesus says, Watch out and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Luke 12 and verse 15. So watch out and be on guard against every form of greed. Immorality, impurity, greed, not good things in our lives. It's a good way to get impure. It's a good way to be violated in your conscience if pursuing these things. He says they must not even be named, not even listed, not even celebrated. In fact, there's a a way that this word is used in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, Esther 9 and verse 4, talking about Mordecai, the order of the king was enforced that Mordecai should be celebrated in all the kingdom. Should be celebrated, is this word. Should be named or identified or recognized or mentioned. Everybody needs to be talking about Mordecai, right? Well, not so when we're talking about evil, wickedness, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Not to be named, not to be celebrated among us. A lot of different translations, English translations, um, try to bring out this idea of not even be named some would say not even be hinted at not even be um, a suspicion or um, as people look at your life they would say you know i I think that guy's an immoral person or i think he's a greedy guy or lady well it shouldn't be even hinted at shouldn't even be something that we uh, speak about or or speak about in a positive sense Uh, other another translation uh, says uh, these things should not even be heard Again, the idea of mentioned, talked about, but it's not part of our normal conversation. We don't talk about, hey, you know, I got this whole thing and I stole this and I went and robbed that bank and I, I uh, you know, slept with all these different... I, impurity, oh yeah, let me talk about that last weekend. Oh yeah. And that's just wickedness. And celebrating these things, no, we're not going to do these things. We're not going to mention it. We're not to be even to be able to be accused of these things so that people would look at our lives and say, you know, I knew that guy was a greedy fella because obviously what he's doing, No. No. These things should not even be, I think a uh, couple different translations says, let there be no sexually immorality or impurity agreed greed among you. Get them out of your life. And so we say, well, I guess we better do this. Who's he talking to here? It's the, it's the church leaders, right? Make sure the church leaders get these things. No, if you're a Christian, if you are a saint, right, as is proper among the church leadership, no, as is proper among saints are you a saint well i haven't been beatified yet and i'm trying to and i'm trying to get that miracle no if you're in christ you are set apart you are a holy person and even it says uh, categorically these these are it's not appropriate for saints not the saints but just hey you're different you're not part of the world you are in christ and therefore you have this conforming Conduct, right? Conforming conduct, purity in relation, relation to our position in Christ. Now we have a new heart and now we're able to do these things. Now we're able to please God. He says, don't even let these things be named among you as is proper, as is fitting uh, in, in the, as regards to saints, those who are holy as God's people. And he says, this is really the first reason among many where, why to avoid these sins. Hey, purity is a big deal. God takes much concern about this and he goes on. He says, it's not just so much the self-indulgent actions here in verse three and verse four, he says, it reflects or is communicated in our words as well. Verse four says, don't let filthiness, foolish talk or coarse jesting be part of your lives. Not even let those be named among you. Oh man, but have this great joke about, no, that's filthy. Don't you be saying that, that's, that's wickedness. It is indecent things. And it's not just mentioning there's a word, and so much, and especially in kids' movies, I don't know what the deal is. Scatological humor, where it's just it talks about things that that's just indecent. Why are you celebrating that? And I'm not even mentioning what what examples are. Just things that that's not pure. That's not helpful. That doesn't advance decency and and the righteousness before God. That is just shameful, really. What you're it's obscene. What you're saying. It is vulgar. And hearing these things, no, nothing, no filthiness, no vulgarity ought to be in our, in our, in our mouths. He says A foolish talk. This is the idea that is, it's both foolish and stupid, like just absolutely off the, not just funny. It is, it is something that is unnecessarily absurd because there's no reason why you're going to say this. And it has the, I mean, it's really moronic uh, talk, moronic words from the you know we get the the english word moron it's just what did you just say that are you serious that is wicked that is foolish that is that that's not even you shouldn't you're you're you say you're a prudent wise person and you're saying these wicked things these foolish things no he says finally coarse jesting which really comes down to a, a wittiness um Uh, A quick repartee, a a quick response to some situation. Uh, I remember some guy was on a radio program years ago. He's a Christian guy being interviewed about a book that he wrote. And and a critic called in and really gave him what for about his whatever. And he, he said, you know, I had a very good response to him about three days later, because he was thinking about this, you didn't, couldn't, you didn't have that wit to be able to respond, not in a, in a negative way, but in a constructive way, to respond in a way that would, you know, it's the whole conflict of how to answer a fool, not according to his folly, but according to his folly. It's just hard. But this is a wittiness that is suggestive. It is, you're saying things, but you mean, you you say those words, but there's another meaning behind that. You're what you call a double entendre. I'm trying to say the French very expressively. Uh, I don't know. Uh, It's spicy language. It's things that are not, it would not draw people to Christ. It would not say, oh, isn't Christ beautiful? No. Isn't that joke disgusting? Oh, that's funny, isn't it? It makes light of sin. It is indecent. Again, it is suggestive. It's not just poking fun at one another. It is indecent. It is exploring things that are not uh, not honoring. They are intentionally humiliating uh, to people, uh, speaking about uh, just things that ought not to be spoken about. He says, "You let these things, filthiness, foolish talk, coarse jesting. No, they're not appropriate. They're not fitting. They're not... Um, advantageous. They're not appropriate to our lives in Christ. They are things that ought to be, again, removed from our lives. Well, what's the contrast? Okay, if we can't be sexually immoral and pure and, and greedy, and we can't have all this kind of, uh, what well, we thought was funny, but no, it's wicked. Okay, I, yeah, I guess it is wicked. Then what should we do instead? Haha, glad you asked. At the end of verse 4, what should we do? Give thanks. Give thanks. And you think, well, that's kind of a letdown. Isn't there something else we can do? I mean, sure there is but the first thing that we ought to do is be able to give thanks can we thank god for his good gifts these people are trying to find satisfaction again our working definition of purity they're trying to find satisfaction and thank in what god has provided but not that way and there's a there's an idea of uh, in a time and a context for these things there's a time for sexual relations there's a time for for uh, enjoying right even the uh, material possessions we have, not to be greedy, but to be content about these things. Uh, there's definitely no place for impurity. We don't want to have you know, uncleanness. There's nothing like that. But receiving God's gifts at the right time in the right context leads us to thanksgiving. In other words, if you're about to sit down uh, for whatever kind of uh, situation, is it something that you can thank God for? Well, I'm about to rob a bank. I could say, thank you, God, for Whoa! I can't thank God for this. I guess maybe I shouldn't better do that, uh, or you're you're about to turn on some lewd and, and lascivious and and uh, obscene uh, movie or, or TV show, or, or go to this Instagram um, channel or feed or whatever they're called, and you you know that that you know that content creator is lewd and and obscene and vulgar, and and yet yeah, I know, but I, I can handle it, right? Can you thank God for this? Thank you, God, for if you can't thank God for it, you probably ought not be doing it. So really, thanksgiving, giving of thanks, really moderates, if you don't mind, or mitigates or just undercuts a lot of our, oh, I guess maybe I shouldn't do that. If I can't thank God for it, then maybe I I shouldn't be doing this. John Stott had a helpful uh, statement here, I think it was. Well, no, it's Homer Kent in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, this is uh, so contrary to the world celebration. The Christian, uh, A Christian's thanksgiving to God is possible only when he's conscious of his blessings from God. He, this thanksgiving will remove the opportunity for indulgence in these filthy vices. Well, God doesn't give nastiness. He doesn't say, hey, here's a, here's a video. you got to see this. <laughs> God doesn't give those gifts to his children. You can't thank God for this exposure to wickedness and say, God was in it. No, that is evil. That is leading away from God. Giving of thanks, saying, God, I know that you give good gifts to your children. I want to give thanks. I want to receive these things with gratitude. In fact, he says elsewhere that all things especially in relation to food and so forth, all things are clean for those who receive them with, with gratitude and with prayer. 1 Timothy 4 talks about these things. Even in the context of food and in the context of marriage, people say, well, okay, if you can't have uh, immoral uh, relations with somebody, then you ought not have any relations at all. And Paul says, that's wickedness. That is wicked for, for you free to say, well, no, you shouldn't have marriage at all. No, God has given marriage. And yet people have, again, turned it into such wickedness and, and and a deceit, and trying to find satisfaction and enjoyment. No. God has given these things for us to be thankful for him. He gives some further things. I'll just skip over these or highlight them a little bit. Ephesians 5 and verse 5. Know this. You better know this with certainty. No one, and now he says, not just the sins and the words, now the person's. No one who is sexually immoral or impure or greedy who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And you think, we hear this a lot of times in our world, hey, you know, I know God is holy and just and all that kind of stuff, but surely he hates the sin but loves the sinner, right? Right? No. God hates those who sin. He he views them as an abomination. He is angry with sinners. He has wrath not just on the, the nebulous ideas of sin, it's the people who conduct them. It's the people who participate in those things. So he says, no one, no one who meets these things, meets these, These again, it's the same terms, immorality, impurity, greed. Same idea is now attributed to persons individually. No one like this has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Oh, man, then that's like nobody, right? Because, man, good grief, we're all impure, we're all immoral, we're all greedy in different ways. Well, this has the idea of someone who is beyond... A willingness to be persuaded, a willingness to humble themselves, a willingness to repent. This is somebody who's just whole hog. It's Romans 1, if you don't mind. Romans 1, just giving full expression to wickedness and depravity. One who is an idolater, as it says here. One who who's substituted the holy, righteous, good God and says, I want a God of my own making. I want a God. I mean, if you've ever looked at archaeological uh, discoveries, especially in the Canaanite, but other, other cultures as well, but in the Canaanite world, those images, those gods that they're worshiping are wicked. They are just immoral. They're impure. They're, they're, they're not good to think about. And yet that's what they wanted to orient their life. This is my God. This is whom I worship. And no, we worship a God who is good and holy and righteous. And he is just. And he is a sovereign God, not just a, a lo- local deity. This is the God of the... He made everything. And he made us for our enjoyment. To be an idolater substitutes all that good things we know about God for something that is far, far less. And he says, Hey, you didn't want me in your life, you're not going to have any part of me in the future. And he, he gives us nothing, in, no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And there might be a little contrast to what's going on in the kingdom of Christ, which is present, and the kingdom of God, which is coming. And in other words, there's no expectation of a right relationship with God. And even the contrast, verse 6, don't be deceived. God will judge. God's wrath is coming on the sons of disobedience. Those who are wicked, those who are, as Revelation 21 says, the cowardly and unbelieving, abominable and murders and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then in Revelation, that's verse 8 of Revelation 21, Revelation 22, verse 15 says, outside the, the new heavens, new, new Jerusalem. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. So better not be deceived about these things. We recognize, again, that purity is satisfaction with God's good gifts to the glory of God. Can you give gl- God glory in the course of your Whatever you're about to do, whatever statement, whatever joke you're about to say, whatever uh, uh, input, media that you're about to enjoy, can you do it as, as, a, as a, um, a gift, receiving as a gift from God that you can give thanks to God for and say, God, I want you to be glorified in what I'm about to do. Can you do that? Then if, if not, then you better stop it right there because this reveals what our, our conduct reveals, if you don't mind going back to that idea, our conduct shows, hey, are we accepted before God, positionally, in Christ? Are we really, do we really have a new heart? Then, if, if we are before God righteous and holy and justified, then we have a new heart, then maybe our conduct ought to be conforming, made more like our Lord Jesus Christ. A few questions, and the last scripture will be done. How does your character and conduct, or excuse me, what does your character and conduct reveal about your desire for purity? If somebody were to take an inventory of life, would they say, boy, there's a, somebody who really has a passion for purity, if you don't mind the uh, the um, homage to Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot again. Does that person really have a desire for purity or are they just making you know talking about it? What boundaries have you placed upon your life to please God? Because if these things are not to be named among us, well, then we just won't name them. I'll just do it myself and won't mention anybody. No, what boundaries have you placed to please God because don't be deceived right? There is a, a divine retribution. We say said that in Job. God will pay back evil for evil, not always in this life, and blessing for blessing, not always in this life, but ultimately, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. So what boundaries have you placed? What do you need to get out of your life? Not just like, well, I need to do less of it. No, what do you need to, to get out of your life? And that can be corrupting influences. It can be media. It can be, you know, I need to not follow this YouTube channel or this Instagram whatever it's called or, or these people that I'm with not hopefully this congregation but friends that I, I get with or co-workers I need to distance myself from them or situations you drive by and you know that you're going that billboard's right there uh, teaching you about gambling or, or you know, whatever you take a different route if that's a problem you avoid corrupting influences how are you using your freedom in Christ to serve others that's the big passage in Galatians 5 uh, verse 13 You've been, you've been, you have freedom in Christ, but use that freedom not for the self-indulgence, but for serving one another. What are you harboring in your life that is neither from God nor for his glory? What are you harboring in your life that is neither from God nor for his glory? And finally, do you have the assurance that God has forgiven your sins because of Christ's sacrifice? Remember David, he wrote Psalm 51. He also wrote Psalm 32. And he says, blessed How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh will not take into account, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We want that hope, as David expressed it here. Forgiveness. We know that we are, God made us, right, for himself. He made us pure. It was lost, that purity was lost in Adam, but it's restored in Christ Thank you, God. Amazing. Help my conduct then to be conformed and being more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your perseverance with us and in us. We're grateful that we have a confidence in Christ, not in ourselves. We're not going to boast in ourselves. We're going to boast in what Christ has done in us, for us, and who is bringing that new kingdom in which righteousness dwells. We long for that. We know that sin has no power over us, and yet why do we go on presenting our bodies as slaves to sin? Presenting our bodies saying, hey, here I am, sin. Let me see what you're going to do with me this time. I think I can handle it. No, we run away from it. We flee from that situation and run to Christ. We find him as our sufficiency. We pray that each soul here would be trusting in Christ, finding that great joy of forgiveness and reconciliation with you, not because they're just good or because they've are you know, they saved themselves from marriage, but we have, I mean, that should be good, right? But to find their identity, their purity in Christ alone and to see that relationship, that satisfaction in what you have given for your glory. Please help us to be your pure chosen vessels in a crazy, mixed up, adulterous, evil, impure, defiled, corrupt age. Wow, it takes your breath away. And that you are good. Help us to keep our hearts set upon you. Remember our citizenship is in heaven. Again, we pray you'd save and sanctify for your glory. Pray in Christ's name, amen.